That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, that's my sound of the wind. That's my reenactment of um, Acts. In the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. How, what do you think, Jake? Was it pretty? You feel like it was pretty accurate? Uh, it was very close. I think it um, very close. But uh, love it and um, love Pentecost. So, um, very exciting time. Um, lots of uh, misunderstandings around Pentecost, but yours truly will clear them up for you here on the same old song with. And then I'll correct whatever mistakes Jake makes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, and by and the it, end, you guys should come out somewhere sort of okay. Yeah, <laughs> slightly heretical, so a little less. So. Just a touch of heterodoxy. But everybody will love your sermon. They'll say, "Good sermon, good sermon." So, because even if you didn't preach it, because if you're yeah. at a multi-clergy parish, they'll be like, "Good sermon." Because that's what we're here for. So, and our. Uh, but before we jump into that, Aaron, do you guys do anything cool for Pentecost at your church? Uh, any any new yeah. liturgical fresh ideas you could throw out there? Some dancers, you know how flags you know, of fire. You know, in the movies when they, you know, they have there's a chemical that they put on the clothes of stunt men and mm. women when they somebody has to catch on fire in a movie and they can sort of run around on fire um, and look like they're burning. We've got um, our deacon is going to do that. We're going to douse him with these chemicals and just send him flailing across the. No, we don't. We're, we wear red. Mm. In the past, people have used balloons. Uh, I don't, you know, I, you know, this year we've actually asked. Uh, we have a partnership with the church in Malawi, and we've asked them to send us just a little welcome video to remind us of the, or like a little hello kind of check in. Hopefully, yeah. we play that at our service just to remind us of the global church and that we are a family made up of people from lots of different backgrounds and places and stories yeah. so that's what we're doing we, but we uh do. typically you know we've done the thing with the different languages where people get up and read a passage and that's sort of okay um it, yeah know, ours is do what you want what about you well we've done in the past and i've always thought this was really cool um we would have because we have so many people who speak so many different languages at our church because we are uh, multicultural of course and um mm-hmm. uh and uh and so uh you know, we'd have the the passage, like the passage from Acts read in Arabic, Japanese, Spanish, German, French, uh, Haitian, Creole, you know what I mean? The list goes on. Urdu. You're showing off and, now, uh, just because you live in New York. <laughs> and in Waco, we get people to, they read it in like East Texas, yeah, West that's Texas, right, that's right. North Texas, and, Houston, uh, Dallas. But then the one person would read it over the, from the lectern in English, but everybody would stand up at the same time. And it's, it's pretty crazy and, and it sounds really cool. So I like it. One thing that we've done is after this verse where it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability, we've had people read either a verse from the Psalms or a verse from the New Testament sort of proclaiming mm. what God has done for us. So just one verse so we kind of keep it sort of short. And that's been sort of a cool so, deal. And I heard a great story about um, 
uh, about a new rector who thought it would be a great idea to uh, start a fire in his font, in the old font of the church. And so, sort of like the Holy Spirit fire, like representing the baptismal font. And anyway, uh, yeah, he completely warped the dish and uh, and (laughs) ruined the like super old, like hundred year old font in the church. So, um, but so don't do that. Uh, but anyway, it is the day of Pentecost, and for those of and you, his name is R.J. Heyman. Yeah, no, uh, for and for those of you who don't know, this actually is a very important day. This is 50 days after Jesus's resurrection, where uh, Jesus uh, uh, Jesus's promises that he said um, at the Last Supper and in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, there on his resurrection, they've all come true. He's given them his very self. His uh, presence in the midst of his perceived absence, the Holy Spirit, has come and is beginning to bear witness. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is that this is the second Pentecost, if you're going to preach on that. So what's the first? Well, the first takes place 50 days after the Passover in the book of Exodus, and um, and uh, where Moses receives the law. And there, there you have fire, and there you have smoke. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, quakes and trembling and strange things happening. This also takes place in, in the book of Ezekiel. So this is uh, Old Testament imagery happening here that sets the tone for our reading in Acts. But this is the second pe- uh, Pentecost, and our, our uh, Jewish friends across the way will be celebrating today the Feast of Shavuot, and so, which is the first Pentecost, the giving of the law. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that you want to um, help your congregation, I think, understand here, which is to point out that the are we at, the, the I, fire... I don't think we said what the reading is. Did we say the readings? Oh. I think I forgot. Well, they have a they have a prayer book. Okay. They have the internet. So, no, so the reading is Acts two, chapter one through twenty one, yeah. and then you have some options here. You can do Ezekiel and then Acts and then uh, end with John 15, or you can do Acts as the first reading, and then a reading from Romans, and then a reading from, then that final gospel reading from John 15 and John 16, actually. Mm. And we're going to be talking today, uh, we're skipping Ezekiel, it's the dry bones, familiar story, beautiful story, amazing story, but your service will be very long, uh, so we're going to show some mercy on your parishioners, and really just to kind of make the focus, uh, Acts 2 is the first lesson, and then a shorter reading, that one from Romans, which kind of talks about the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit in the life of your congregation, in the life of the believer, and then the John 15 passage. So yeah, we're starting out with Acts 2, day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, and uh, uh, there's a couple of things that I would point out here. Uh, the... And it's that the as much as great and as exciting as the languages and the wind and the fire is, and those are all really important things. They indicate the presence of God, the fact that the fire is present and doesn't burn up the disciples. It shows that God's judgment is is not he, they've been spared. They are not being judged. It's like the when the bush doesn't burn up, here the disciples don't burn up, uh, because to God's judgment is not uh, it, it's been supplanted by His mercy. And so um, the point here is that this is all to, to bring people to Jesus um, and that the language is given to them not so they can have a, 
ecstatic experience or they can do a cool parlor trick. The language is to teach them about Jesus uh, and what he has done for them. And then when Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk, um, as I've said in previous years on this podcast, this is the funniest line in all of scripture. Uh, the, you know, how could we be drunk? It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And when you, you know, there's like always some elbowing happening in your congregation at that line because they're like, well, not on my tailgate party. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, but the, the, the point here is that the work of Jesus has been so efficacious, meaning it, it actually... His death and resurrection actually did what he said it would, which is to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, which is to sanctify you, which is to justify you, is to make you clean, pure, spotless, and holy. Imputed righteousness to you is so the real deal that you can now be a temple of the Spirit of God, Mm. that the Spirit of God can dwell in you. On your own, never going to happen because... You're, you as a temple don't make a very good temple, you on your own. Uh, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, actually God can live inside you. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah, I think it, absolutely. And uh, another important part of this context is, is that, you know, they all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And this is important important thing, because remember, this is a Jewish festival, the Feast of Shavuot, and it's an interesting thing in the Feast of Shavuot, if you're, if you are traditionally Jewish, this is the one service that is always done in Hebrew, and is led by a person of authority, not just random old anybody, you know, and so uh, all of a sudden now you have uh, people speaking about the mighty acts of God, aka how Jesus has fulfilled the law, and uh, it's not coming from the places of authority, uh, where the world thinks is important, Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, this is the wisdom of God is actually coming from Galileans. And this is another thing about the importance of the Holy Spirit and the power of Pentecost, is that God speaks to us, we're reminded God speaks to us from the Galilees of our life. God speaks to us from the places we wouldn't want to look. He speaks clearly there and declares his mighty deeds, namely the forgiveness of your sins, uh, Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, and that nothing can separate you from his love because uh, he is uh, God's fulfillment. And uh, it's uh, important, too, that Peter, like right after that nine o'clock in the morning statement, my good friend Ali Hannah, he used to joke and say, clearly there were no Irish in the crowd. But uh, um, nah. if you notice, Peter jumps right into the prophet Joel. And really the emphasis in this chapter two is Peter's sermon, not the giving of tongues, but 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 the but the but the sermon in which the tongues are proclaimed in. And uh, so we're reminded that by Peter quoting the prophet Joel, that Jesus was always plan B, uh, plan, not plan B, plan A. Uh, finally, I would say something about tongues of fire. Why is it tongues? Notice, uh, my dear, uh, some of my Episcopal colleagues, uh, it is not uh, hands of fire. It is tongues of fire because the gospel must be proclaimed and it comes to you in word. What word? And, uh, and it is not about your action. It is about Christ's action to fulfill the law for you. This is what is amazing and perplexing, is that it has all come together, and that which the whole was concealed in the Old Testament has now been revealed fully in the resurrection of Jesus. And that message must be proclaimed. 
I got a little excited. And, yes. It, so. And yeah, and I love it. I love it, Jake, when you get all excited. <laughs> uh, the other thing here is um, the result. Yes. The fruit of the proclamation of the gospel is creating a community that is made up of all different kinds of people. Yes. It's the it's the beautiful um, impact of this message because all the divisions that are among people are there because everybody's trying to say we're better than other people. And uh, and it's a it's it's a part of the fallen world. Mm. And this prophecy in Joel is sons and daughters, young and old, uh, rich people, poor people, uh, even, you know, slaves, which would have been a way of saying, you know, people that are at the bottom rung in terms of economic and social capital. Uh, and basically no one is excluded from this. Yeah, and it comes to Parthians, Jesus Medes, Elamites, all sorts of yes, folks. Yes, because, yeah, because Jesus's message, and, and this was... This was not a common thing. Like, until the Christian church came around, you didn't have any grouping of people that had lots of different ethnic and linguistic groups together. Uh, The Romans were very careful to say, everybody can do their own thing, but you got to stay in your own silos. Stay in your lane. Um, And that was, I mean, and that's how much of the world still is today. Uh, We love dividing lines and making different camps and saying, you stay on your Mm. side and I'll be over here in mine and our side's better than your side. We do it in sports. Golly, if we didn't have sports in this country, we would all be killing each other all the time. It gives us sort of like a nice pressure release valve Mm. for us to find some way to kind of have a team and think we're better than other people. Um, That's why sports exist. If we didn't have it, we'd have wars all the time. And we we kind of all still do in a way. But that this this Christian community, the result of God forgiving people's sins and showing us his love for us um, and the spirit of God living in us then uh, is what creates the kind of community. And a lot Amen. of churches preach community, but not Jesus. Yeah. And they don't ever get community. If you preach Jesus, you'll get community. Yeah, you go to a church where they're always harping about diversity. You look, it's predominantly uh, 60-year-old white boomers. You know what I mean? That's who's at church. Um, and uh, this is the thing that you see in this picture. No offense, boomers. Yeah, we love you. you. Jesus does I mean, too, but we're just describing true. a reality that often exists in the yeah, world. Yeah, but uh, it's true. And you look at this. The community did not create the gospel. The gospel creates the community. I'll never forget one time I was like, uh, I was interviewing, um, I was discerning a call and uh, the congregation was like, well, you're from New York, you know, and this is a suburban Midwestern parish. And they were like, you know, I mean, how would you relate? And I was like, well, because the gospel speaks to absolutely positively everyone. You know, it speaks to Parthians. It speaks to Medes. It speaks to residents of Mesopotamia. It speaks to people in Des Moines, Iowa. It speaks to people in New York because it's the same message. And we all have a Galilee in our life. We all have a wound that needs a little balm in Gilead. And uh, that is, uh, and, and the gospel creates it. I mean, whether you're living in Bed-Stuy or Gramercy Park, you've got an issue and uh, that Christ wants to meet <laughs> and forgive uh, and I absolve. Will, and I'll say one little PSA, just as I do this every year, if you've got a, a lay person assigned as a lector for this Sunday, make sure you give them a heads up mm-hmm. to read the passage at home and maybe listen to a recorded version on YouTube. Otherwise, they will die when they get to the pronunciation of all the place names Pamphylia. and people groups in the middle of this passage. Yeah. yeah they'll be like Pampilia, Cap, 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 
they'll, mm-hmm. they'll just, you know, yeah. you don't want to have your people mortified up there in public. Yeah. This, uh, and, but this idea of the gospel speaking to everyone is, um, is, uh, is really conveyed, I think, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, our, our, uh, Ro- our epistle reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 27. Because the truth is, is that all of creation is groaning. You know what I mean? And I love that. The gospel is for everyone, and it's good news for everything, the whole creation, because the whole creation has been groaning. I love that this isn't your best life now, everybody. This message is for, uh, for the redemption of the world. Yeah, this passage so gets at the fact that we're in what, you know, your seminary professor will call the already not yet. Um, So many Christians have an over-realized eschatology, meaning they sort of feel like we've already arrived, we've already achieved, we've already, you know, um, you know, we've achieved Christian perfection, that Wesleyan doctrine. Uh, But as St. Paul says here, we are waiting. We're in the waiting room, to quote Fugazi. Uh, We're waiting for adoption. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Um, And we have hope. You don't hope for what is seen, as Paul says. You don't hope for what you already have. So we're living in hope. We don't have it yet. So the Christian uh, call and vocation is waiting with patience. Mm. Um, And this is where it gets into what the Holy Spirit is for. And this passage is eminently preachable in that everybody in your congregation online, in person, socially distanced, masked or not, everybody in your congregation knows what weakness is. Mm. Everybody in your congregation uh, has been able to relate to this feeling of not knowing how to pray about a situation. It's so dire, you don't even know how to pray about it. Um, Everybody um, has something that they're stuck in and want to get out of and feel like they have to wait in patience, but they're not feeling very patient. And so this is where you can talk about God who searches the heart who and knows the mind of the Spirit, actually helps you pray and is with you in that moment. And this that's why, you know, this, this is the passage that describes one of the key functions of the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit, again, a person, a he, not an it, um, is so key for the Christian, um, not as, you know, again, we don't, many people just think of the Holy Spirit, they think of, uh, snake handlers and speaking in tongues, all that. The Holy Spirit is here to be God with you mm-hmm. in your actual life and to continue to point you back to the hope you have in the gospel. As as Paul says, the redemption of our bodies, we, that will actually happen. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So this passage gets at that and, and so powerfully. And so I want my, you know, my congregation to be Pentecostals in that I want them to know that they have the Holy Spirit to bring them back to the mm-hmm. gospel again and again and again. Yeah, and uh, and I love how um, what Paul says here, you know, uh, has been groaning in labor pains until now, you know, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. So he speaks of this suffering, not as some sort of like thing that brings an end, but if you know anything about labor pains, and here I am mansplaining, but uh, uh, labor pains bring about something... I'm offended. Bring about something brand new, brings about new life. Yeah. So this creation is groaning as the... the the age that is to come is breaking in, which is very powerful. But uh, I love that Paul recognizes that we live in uh, a reality where it hasn't come in yet. You know what I mean? And so uh, he says, likewise, you know, the spirit just isn't there to like, you know, 
be nice, but he helps us in our weakness. This is what you said, uh, Christ uh, with us and for us, um, you know, and uh, um, helps us in our weakness, uh, you know, and I've been telling my congregation, I've told them a couple of times, this last year and the year before, I mean, essentially my prayers were like, essentially like, in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know what to pray because so much crap is going wrong and not the way it's supposed to, you know? And so, and I mean, and so, uh, but we have this this spirit, and I love the words here and the description of how the spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. I mean, that is the powerful thing when you are speechless. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, one of the most, uh, cr- the craziest moments as a pastor is when I had to like stay with the family after their daughter died. And all of this, all this dad could do was just like, cry, like sob. And he was like, you know, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, please. And, uh, you know, that was the spirit like interceding. I mean, that is the one time I saw it. And you could see this man in his darkest Mm. moment, his heart was laid out there on an altar. I mean, the altar was his living room floor. But I mean, this is the powerful thing that the spirit, like, I mean, there are moments in our lives when we don't know what to pray or what's going on. And this is God not only with us, but God for us and lining our prayers up with that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, and it tells us where our hope comes from. I mean, it comes from Jesus and it comes from the Spirit. Uh, I love J.I. Packer once said, God corrects your prayers on the way up. And uh, that's essentially, I think, Mm -hmm. what St. Paul is saying right here. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, And so now we come to um, the end here. Uh, John 15 and 16, the promise from Jesus, the him foretelling the coming of the Holy Spirit and reminding us of the one who comes from the Father. Um, and uh, this even the name, the advocate, the one that advocates on your behalf. Um, it, it just an incredible promise, incredible joy that comes from this um, that will guide us into all truth and uh, will kind of always bring you back to the gospel, always bring you back to Jesus. Um, that's the, the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit in in our lives. Anything you would add to this, Jay? Uh, yeah, um, just just a couple of things, but not not many. Um, you know, I, because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. And why is that? Well, because uh, before the Spirit came, uh, you had to go to a place to find God. There was no such thing as I discover the one true God in nature. No, you went to Jerusalem and you went to the temple. And then he was revealed in flesh in a very particular time and in a very particular place. And now, though, um, uh, God has declared all is holy. This is another illustration in Romans. I mean, when Paul speaks of Israel, it's interchangeable with the world. And so now it's all his and he is found absolutely everywhere. And I think that there's three things that he he says, you know, that the Spirit's going to do. Um, I will send him to you. And when he comes, one, he's going to prove the world wrong about sin, a.k.a. you're not basically good. And I think it's all being revealed and righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me. 
you know, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father. That's where righteousness is found. And judgment because the ruler of this world is condemned. So uh, God, the Spirit speaks to us about righteousness, speaks to us about the importance of Jesus, and then speaks to us about judgment, namely uh, that judgment has been passed um, over us and upon another. And he says, I still got a lot of things to say to you. And we're learning about the Holy Spirit all the time as he reveals Jesus to us. I mean, I was talking to my friend Luke Rowland the other day, and he was telling me, you know, he was like, I mean, I always thought the the Bible was about me, you know, and talking about how Hmm. like this, how with the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that Jesus is just from cover to cover. It's not about you at all. It's about what God has done for you and now who you are in light of that. And, you know, we can't handle all of these things, but but um, it's always coming. And and uh, the Holy Spirit is always teaching us new things about Jesus, namely the old thing that he's died for you. Yes, that particular part of your life. Yeah, and I think, you know, this thing, uh, the word on the Holy Spirit that he will quote, prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, just to kind of riff on what you said, Jesus does give a little explanatory comment. Mm -hmm. The thing that the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about with sin, Jesus says, that means because they do not believe in me. So, what he's saying is the world thinks sin is watching R-rated movies and Mm -hmm. saying a swear word and... um, you know, telling white lies or whatever the maybe really bad things you've done. But he says, no, the Holy Spirit will remind the world that real the real sin is to not trust in what God has done in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Um, and to think sin is primarily about behavior as opposed to belief. Amen. Then about righteousness, um, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. So Jesus is saying there, the world tends to think that righteousness is just following a list of rules. Jesus is saying, righteousness is me. Yes. And because you won't see me anymore, you're going to have to some have to have somebody remind you who I am, not to give you a list of rules. And then, how will the Holy Spirit prove the world wrong about judgment? Because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Meaning, a lot of people will think that the that the world is still ruled by the devil. Um, and one of the things the devil does is to accuse all the time. Uh, and we, we feel judged all the time. Um, but Jesus is saying the Spirit is going to come and remind you that the ruler of this world has been condemned. That accuser has been condemned. You no longer stand under judgment because Jesus has been judged in our place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so much there. And if you can unpack in a sermon, God bless you. But again, the main thing here, I think it's just as Jake and I have said, is that the Holy Spirit is with you to remind you to come back to Jesus to point you back to him, to point you back to the gospel, to point you to the fact that the Bible is not about you, but about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Uh, and thanks be to God for that insight from Luke Rowland, who looks exactly like Shel Silverstein yeah. in the flap of where the sidewalk is. That's good. Yeah, I, amen. And I, if you were going to preach on that text, I would have those, which you just said, those would be my three points. And um, and just one last thing about the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit isn't like the cool, funky part of the Trinity, you know, with dreadlocks. It is the Holy Spirit does one thing, and that is. I mean, he might. But... He reveals Jesus, and uh, he reveals Jesus right. so that we might worship Jesus. And in worshiping Jesus, we worship the Father in spirit and truth. And uh, that is for Trinity Sunday next week. But until then, God bless you all, and uh, happy Pentecost. Somebody's looking.
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.